It's beautiful today that we're celebrating the memorial of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And I thought today was actually the anniversary of my ordination, but it's actually tomorrow. I'm really bad with dates, even my own anniversary. But I think it's providential that we're celebrating this on the eve of the anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood. The reason why I say that is because in my second year of philosophy, when I was in seminary, it was the beginning of the year was a great year. I had finally found my bearing in the seminary. I felt like I had a good prayer life. I just felt God's consolation really, really covering me and really just powering me to go. And if you were ready to ordain me the next day, I was ready to be ordained. But what had happened was I was so pumped that what I did was I consecrated myself to Mary. I did my consecration to Mary through St. Louis de Montfort, uh, according to that form. And it was a beautiful moment where I just gave my life to God through Mary. And, you know, like I said, I was ready to be ordained the next day. But the next thing that happened to me really confused me. When Christmas came that year, I began to have doubts about my vocation. I wasn't sure whether God was calling me anymore or whether I even wanted to be a priest anymore. I tried to persevere for another two years, but eventually that nagging feeling kept holding on to me. And so eventually I actually left the seminary, as many of you know. I began to work in the bank, in construction, as a teacher. And throughout that whole process, it really confused me that when I gave myself to Mary, why did she draw me away from the priesthood? Or what it seemed like, it, at, at least. But eventually what I realized over time was that I was led out of the seminary for a purpose and I actually had to encounter this healing process. And it was after this healing process that God called me back into the priesthood. And then slowly I began to realize that when we give ourselves to Mary, she begins to form us into the likeness of her son. And so after I'd given her, myself to Mary, she put me into the mold. But when I was in that mold, she was removing what did not resemble Christ, my brokenness and my sins. And now I'm here today, truly by the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'm just reminded of her perpetual help for me. And so I want to use this image of Our Lady of Perpetual Help to really guide us with our reflections and also with the scriptures as well. As Serena was able to capture the human emotions of what a mother would have felt like throughout the life of Jesus with his birth, but with his death as well. And in this icon, it's so beautiful. It captures another aspect of Mary's motherhood. And when I was looking at the commentary on this, there's some very profound symbolism in the image. And so I'm going to use my clicker here to point out. You can look on either side. But what's really interesting here is that here we have, over here and here are the Greek initials for Mary, the mother of God. Right here and here. And this initial is actually for St. Michael the Archangel. And this initial is for St. Gabriel the Archangel. And what's really fascinating is that St. Michael is carrying the spear and St. Gabriel is carrying the cross. And that's very important for what's going to be explained next. If you look at Mary's eyes, they're actually quite larger than usual. And it's a very beautiful symbolism because Mary is, has this vision to be able to see 
the needs of humanity. She's wearing red, which is a tunic that is worn by virgins. And she's also wearing blue, which is a color worn by mothers. And so there's that virgin mother symbolism that's present even in her clothing. And the reason why Jesus is in Mary's arms is because as a young child, this is a theological reflection, that as a young child, he was made aware of his cross and spear, the ways in which he would die. And so, in his, obviously, as his, in his divinity, he knew God's plan, but in his humanity, naturally, he would feel fear. And so, coming to our Blessed Mother, he, he clung to her. And what's really interesting is that here her hand is holding her son protectively to support her, to support him. And Jesus' hands are turned down and his palms are turned down to indicate, as some commentators would say, that the grace of redemption is in her keeping. And if you notice really interestingly here as well too that his foot is, is, the sandal is kind of clinging off of his foot. And it's really interesting. Some commentators say that because he was running to the Blessed Mother that the sandal was falling off. But some people also say that his foot, this foot represents his divinity as well that's barely clinging to earth. And his other foot with a sandal attached to it represents his humanity. And so there's beautiful images that's going to guide our reflection because Mary is Our Lady of Perpetual Help. The reason why she is that is because she is not only Jesus' mother but also our mother as well. As we heard in the Gospel, Jesus says, Behold, your son, and he's speaking to Mary, and he says, behold, your mother, when he's looking at the beloved disciple. And what's really interesting is that he doesn't just say that, he says, woman, behold your son. And so to understand this moment, to understand Mary's significance in the plan of salvation, I think this term, woman, is so important. And woman, obviously, is this title referring to Mary. But sometimes, in our kind of 21st century understanding, when we hear the word woman, there's kind of negative connotations, right? We don't hear woman, we hear woman. <laughs> you know, this is, this, it's, it seems demeaning, in fact. But what Jesus is doing is he's actually, it's, it's a term of endearment and a special prophetic term. It's actually a reference, obviously, as we know, to Eve. As we know, Jesus says, or in the gospel, in the the book of Genesis, when he's separating Eve and the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. When Adam sees Eve for the first time, he says, Alas, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. And so I bring that term up to keep in mind that Eve as the woman, the first woman, had a special role in the first creation. And so when we hear then woman in reference to Mary, it's a reference to the new Eve in the new creation. And so woman then, in the Gospel of John that we heard, is not, a term, not only a term that goes back to the book of Genesis, but also goes back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, to the wedding feast of Cana. One of my favorite stories to speak about always We know the story that Jesus and Mary and the disciples went to this wedding feast, the wedding feast of Cana. And as we know, Mary notices that they have run out of wine. 
They have run out of wine. And then when she brings it up to Jesus, what does he say? He says, woman, what is that to me and to you, literally? And then what he says is, my hour has not yet come. And so it's really interesting. So when he's saying the word woman, then he's referring to Mary's role in the new creation. And so it's very important. And what does that have to do with this wedding banquet? Well, it's, it's referenced into the next term because Jesus says, what does that have to do? What, my hour has not yet come. And so whenever we hear Jesus speaking of his hour, we know that in the Gospel of John, he's referring to the hour of his passion, of his death and resurrection. And so he's pointing to Mary's role in this pivotal moment. He's almost like he's saying to Mary, my hour has not yet come, but also your hour has not yet come either, as the new eve of this new creation. And then Mary responds very curiously, she says, do whatever he tells you. And so the servants fill these stone jars, these six stone jars, which were about 120 to 180 liters each. And so the total was about over 700 liters of wine. I just love that beautiful image, right? To, you're like, what 700 liters of wine? You know, each bottle of wine is about 750 liters, uh, 750 milliliters. And so 750 liters of wine, that's about almost 100 bottles of wine. That's probably enough for a bottle for each of us individually. And we're just, imagine them just drinking all this wine at this party. And so... Jesus is doing this sign, though, but he's pointing forward to his hour. He's not just making it a great party. He's pointing forward to this future hour. And it's significant because for two reasons. The first is that at a Jewish banquet, the bridegroom was the one who would provide the wine. And so Jesus then, in providing the wine at this marriage banquet, is, he's revealing himself as a bridegroom. And the second thing is that he's providing it in abundance. And so at the end of time, this eschatological banquet, when Jesus would create all this wine, he would recall the prophecies of the prophets who speak about this end time where there'd be wine dripping through the mountains. And so Jesus, in providing this abundance of wine, was, was pointing forward to this end time, this eschatological banquet as we know, the banquet of his body and his blood, where we would be eating the Lamb of God. And so what does this have to do with Mary? Mary, of course, is the woman, the new Eve. And this former Eve was the mother of all the living. And so how is this Mary, Mary the new Eve? Mary is now the new Eve because she is the mother of all the living of those who have been reborn by water and the Spirit, the water that comes forth from the side of Christ. All those who were dead in sin are now alive in baptism. And baptism makes us true sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, and therefore true siblings with our brother Jesus, and therefore true sons and daughters of our Blessed Mother. And so the fathers of the church and 
The Vatican Council fathers would say that Mary is our mother in the order of grace. Of course, not biologically, but in the order of grace. But what does it mean to have Mary as our mother? And I think that phrase, they have no wine, and this ties in with those large eyes of our Blessed Mother. What does it mean to have Mary as our mother? Mary is watching out for us. She's watching over us, over the details of our lives. One of my favorite stories to share about Mary is about the story of Jim Caviezel. We know that Jim Caviezel is the actor for The Passion of Christ, and he tells us how his acting career began actually in Amsterdam. Uh, he, actually, he was talking about this, he, he was speaking about this talk in Amsterdam, speaking to other people. And he's pl- applying for a role in a movie called The Thin Red Line. And the director was Terence Malick, who's this famous director. And he was super nervous about going to Terence Malick's house because this is his first role. He was applying it for the first time and he didn't know what to expect. And he had a lot of self-doubt. And so what he did was, as he was driving there, he was obviously praying the rosary. He had a devotion to our Blessed Mother. But as he was praying, because he was praying so hard, he was actually 10 minutes late for his interview. So he was even more nervous. So he runs to the door, and then he's like, oh, I'm still nervous. And he realizes that he left his rosary in the car. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm so late but uh, I got to get my rosary. So he runs back to his car to get his rosary. And finally he goes back to the house. And while he was there, he, he rang on the doorbell and he spoke to this woman. And this lady, he thought, was one of the maids. So he said, oh, thank you for letting me in. I'm here to see Terrence Malick. And when he saw her, he saw that she had this medal on her neck, which was the miraculous medal. And so he thought that she was Catholic. He's like, hey, are you Catholic? And she says, no, I'm Episcopalian. He's like, oh, that's strange. (laughs) But as he was looking at her, he had the strong sense that he should give her his rosary. And so what he did was like, hey, you know what, I just, I know this is really weird. I know you're not Catholic, but I just have this sense that I should give you my rosary. And so he gave her his rosary. And when he gave it to her, she began crying immediately. And he's like, oh no, I've, I've offended the maid. And as she was clearing up from her weeping and crying, she found out, he found out that she had actually received a rosary from Mother Teresa many years ago. But unfortunately, she had lost that rosary. And what she'd been praying for, all, for this, these couple of years was she was hoping for another rosary. And as she was praying for this, he, she received this rosary from this man, from Jim Caviezel. And then after he gave her a rosary and they talked about this, he heard a voice, this masculine voice from the back saying, Honey, is everything okay? And it turns out this maid was actually Terence Malick's wife. And so, I think because of how he... Uh, reacted with her and treated her. Let's say he, he got the role in the thin red line. And that began his acting career. That movie, I think, was nominated for seven Academy Awards. And when he recalls the story, he recalls how this was a sign to him of how his, the Blessed Virgin Mary was always guiding him throughout his life. 
And so to have Mary as our mother is that if we give permission to her and remain under her mantle, she watches over the details of her life, of our life. She's concerned deeply about the details. And we bring to her our needs that we are aware of. But sometimes, if we entrust ourselves to her, she'll even make known to us the needs that we don't, aren't even aware of either. You know, I, I have my sister, and I can see her interacting with her children. And with any other mother, too, and I think in, in your experience, that any mother who has a child, in a way, guesses the needs of her child, almost intuitively. I think mothers have a special gift of deciphering the needs of the child that they're not aware of because the child is not able to articulate what it needs, right? If it needs something, it just cries, but it's just, it doesn't have like a, a different cry for different needs, right? If I, if I want cold milk, she cries this way. If I want hot milk, we cry that way, right? The baby just cries generally. And so when we entrust ourselves to our blessed mother, she's able to bring even the needs that we aren't even aware of. And that's what I discovered when I left the seminary, that these needs of healing that I needed, I didn't know. But she led me through this pathway in order to find healing for that. And so Fulton Sheen, he says this very beautifully. He says that there are many of us who would not come to our Lord unless we had someone who knows our needs better than we know ourselves and who will ask our Lord for us. As the mother knows the needs better than the babe, so the blessed mother understands our cries and worries and knows them better than we know ourselves. I just think that's so comforting to know that if we entrust ourselves to Mary, not only will she provide for the needs that we consciously bring, she's even trying to take care of us of the things that we're not even aware of, that we will understand later. And so this total entrustment to Mary will ensure that we will receive everything that we need. And the second thing that it means to have Mary as our mother is that she tells us to do whatever he tells you. Mary always leads us to her son. Mary's not just aware of our needs. She brings them to the one who can fulfill them and heal them. St. John Paul II in his encyclical Redemptoris Mater, the mother of the Redeemer, he says this, something very beautiful about Mary. He says this, coming to the aid of human beings means, at the same time, bringing those needs within the radius of Christ's messianic mission and salvific power. Thus, there is a mediation. Mary places herself between her son and mankind in the reality of their wants needs and sufferings. She puts herself in the middle. That is to say, she acts as a mediatrix, not as an outsider, but in her position as mother. So Mary isn't just aware of our needs. She didn't just say that there's no wine. She leads us into the salvific power of Jesus. I think that's so significant in that image, right? Jesus puts his hands into the hands of Mary. And when we put ourselves into the hands of Mary, she she puts us also in the hands of Jesus. And so where is this salvific power found? It's found at the banquet of her son. And where is this banquet? It is initially at the cross, his body 
and his blood. And so when we bring our needs to Mary, she leads us to the banquet of her son, which is at the heart of Jesus, the fountain of grace and mercy, the foot of the cross, the source of redemption. Mary is, of course, not the one who saves us. She's the one who brings us to the Savior. Fultuchin says that the mother knows the needs of the child and she brings the child to the doctor. Of course, the mother is not the doctor, but the one who brings the child to the doctor. And so Mary brings us to the divine physician. She is not the physician, but the one who brings us there. But it's important because she plays a role in bringing us to him. And when we turn to her, her intercession is truly powerful indeed. I'll close with this final story. You may have heard of the atomic bombs, obviously, in World War II, and it was dropped on Hiroshima on August 6, 1945. And what it did was it caused an X-ray heated fireball 370 meters in size. Just imagine this massive fireball, maybe even the size of this church. It was a, had the temperature of 6,000 degrees Celsius. 66,000 people died directly and immediately as a result of this blast. Everyone within a 3.5 kilometer radius was immediately and essentially vaporized, except for four Jesuits. Just eight blocks away from the center of the blast, Father Hubert Schieffer recalls that day. He remembers seeing the blinding light and he was being tossed around in his house like a leaf in the wind. Despite being so close, despite all these other people being vaporized, Father Hubert and his companions only received minor injuries, like small shards of glass on their skin. Even those who were not near the blast and who were far away had their skin charred and burnt. But these men were fine. The doctors predicted that they would eventually die due to radiation, yet none of them experienced any ill effects. In fact, Father Hubert went to live on for another 37 years. Father Hubert was examined over 200 times, and finally Dr. Stephen Reinhardt of the Department of Defense, who studied their miraculous survival, stated, what happened to those Jesuits in Hiroshima defies all human logic from the laws of physics as understood today. Although science could not explain why they were still alive, Father Hubert always knew the real reason why. He said, we were under the special protection of God. We survived because we were living the message of Fatima. We lived and prayed the rosary daily in that home. My brothers and sisters, that is the power of the intercession of our Blessed Mother. When we pray the rosary, we don't just repeat words over and over again. When we pray the rosary, we are remaining within the mantle of our Blessed Mother. We are giving her permission to watch over us. So as we celebrate the memorial of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, as we are reminded of her image, we are reminded of her perpetual care and her perpetual love for each and every one of us. That love that she had for her son, which was expressed in music and song that we heard today, 
is the same love that she has for us. So today, give her permission. Allow her to love you, to care for you. Allow her eyes to watch over the daily details of your life so that we may truly experience what our Lord says to us. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother.